You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Oh my gosh, what an intro that Dave gets every time. And you know what? He's not even here today. Wah, wah. Wah, wah. But, lad, that's me. I'm going to take over the show today, and I got my special friend and guest, Mark Gailey of Murder, Inc., downtown Portland. How you doing today, Marky? I'm doing really good. Biting chipper today. That's all you got? No, I got more. You got more? <laughs> I'm going to save the best. You're going to save the best for last. It's, yeah, we're going to have fun is, today. Well, that is so wrong. It's wrong. Well, you know, Mark, we got some really cool things happening with our band, the Killer Granddaddies. Oh, my God. That's my favorite band, I swear. It's not just because I like you guys. I think I like you more because of the band. I oh. am excited about the Killer Granddaddies. The music's... Mm-hmm. Yes. I can see that starry glow in your eyes whenever I sing to you. I know. It's weird. I don't know why. Um, my friend's band is like one of my favorites. Dumb. So, you know, what we got is uh, next Friday, uh, we're going to play at a youth project. Uh, Dave's going to sing one of his originals and a song uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's brother, Jimmy Vaughn, wrote. Um, it's going to be cool. We're going to do an acoustic version. Um, it's going to be uh, really cool. Hope that all works out well. Then... Guess what we're going to be doing, Mark? Playing blue on black acoustic? Nope. Oh. We're going to take our band into OSP. I'm going to be a roadie. You want to be a roadie? Yes. Well, see what it is. They originally asked Dave, because Dave has some really cool cars. He's got this new i8 BMW. Super cool, slick-looking, yes. Ferrari-looking little car. It's better than a Lamborghini. Sweet. And a Tesla. Yeah. Which is uh, like the most technological advanced car on the market. And so, you know, at, at the car shows at OSP, they usually bring in old hot rods. But some of the inmates have been requesting that they bring in something a little more advanced with all the goodies on it. So we're going to take both those cars in to the car show. And then they just decided to ask us to come on in and just go ahead and bring the band in and play for the guys. That's awesome. Oh my gosh, that's way awesome. Isn't that cool? Yeah, super cool. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, we're going to have a Which prison is it? OSP, Oregon State Penitentiary. Unless we brought the uh, tattoo tour bus in there. So in Salem, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah, downtown. I grew up in Salem. It was the main prison. It's the old territorial prison to begin with, and now it's kind of the main prison there in Salem. Didn't they used to, like, when they released the inmates back when it was territorial, they give them a gold piece, a pistol, and a horse? That's right. (laughs) <laughs> you mean they you... stop that? <laughs> no, they still give you a pistol, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's America after all. Uh. Well, enough of that chit-chat, Mark. Is that good? That's Are you good. good? You got anything else you want to throw in there? Mm. What's up? What I want to do a shout-out. Let's do a shout-out to, let's say, Lee Warren. We're talking about him today. Lee uh, Lee Warren? Yeah. Yeah, Pop- Lee. Papa Lee. Got the new uh, up, CBD business jumping off. Big old bald-headed guy. Looks like a pumpkin. All right, let's move on. So, 
Today's guest is uh, Christian Torres, and he uh, is from uh, Aria Lab. It's a LLC, and it's a financial technology firm specializing in the development of Excel-based technical trading systems. And they say, we believe that, just like every market, every trader is unique and deserves a custom solution. Our personalized approach ensures that each system is tailor-made to suit the individual's trading style, market, asset class, time frame, and risk tolerance. Is that a mouthful, but I did it pretty good, didn't I, Alon? Perfect. Not bad, huh? That was pretty good. I got my DJ voice jumping today. Well, welcome to the program, Christian. How are you today? Thank you very much. I'm doing great. So you, we were talking before, and uh, you're originally from uh, New York. Yep, but New York City. Now you guys are over in Michigan. Um, so you know what we usually do is we kind of go back childhood, kind of, you know, the, the points in life where, you know, all the significant trouble started happening. So can you take us back there and kind of tell us a little bit about what led to you eventually, you know, ended up going to uh, a little bit of prison time? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I mean, I always start by going back to uh, the fact that I was raised by my grandparents. And, you know, they really, really uh, instilled a sense of what was right and what was wrong, which is kind of ironic because later on I look back and I'm like, oh, if I would have just listened and, you know, done what, you know, grandma taught me from the beginning, I wouldn't be in this mess. But uh, <laughs> good old grandma. Know, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, she. Uh, you know, she really kind of helped me through those first couple of years. And then, you know, when my mom really kind of took over and brought me into into the family, it was it was hard. It was interesting because I had a lot of expectations on me. And, you know, as a young child, I used to score pretty high on the tests and everybody used to always tell me, oh, you're pretty bright and you're going to have a bright future and you may even be a lawyer someday. And I used to always tell my uh, my mom, I said, no, a lawyer sounds too boring. I want to do something a little more exciting. And uh, and I took off to aggressive inline skatings. And, you know, I, uh, I appreciate everything my mom did for me because I was a handful back then. But I'd be basically out hitting the skate parks and always uh, seeking the next thrill, so to speak. Gnarly. Kinda, yeah, that kind of defined my teenage years. Uh, but, you know, eventually I did kind of correct course and ended up getting a scholarship to go to a pretty prestigious uh, high school. It was a private high school, uh, Rye Country Day School in Rye, New York. Uh, pretty much, you know, if, if any school that has day school in it, you know, also has a lot of money in it. So, um, it, you know, I did uh, my high school years there and actually went on to college to study criminal justice <laughs> wow uh yeah yeah no it's the hell uh, later on yeah quite a quite a turnaround a, bit, a very strong dichotomy in my story uh about how the paths kind of just split for me but um yeah growing up you know it was a lot of uh living in one world studying in another you know growing up in the south bronx uh, my friends that I had there were a totally different set than the friends that I had in high school. And 
always kind of being exposed to those two sides, those two walks of life, I guess, kind of caught up to me because uh, later on, you know, I obviously went from one side of the law to the other. Um, what was uh, what were you trying to accomplish? What were you, you know, in the criminal justice system? What did you want to be? Uh, I was actually interested in forensic psychology, and my goal eventually was, and this was before uh, Criminal Minds really kind of took off, so it wasn't because of that, but my goal was actually to join the, the FBI as a profiler. Uh, that was kind of my dream job, and I actually thought I was going to go to the military for a while. I was going to sign up for the Marines, and this was around 2003 where Iraq was really kind of taken off, and uh, pretty much my my fiance at the time and my mom kind of both told me, well, look, you know, if you take off right now, you're pretty much guaranteed to be, you know, in Afghanistan or in Iraq, you know, somewhere within the next, you know, four to five months. And they encouraged me to kind of stay put. And uh, that's why I ended up going to John Jay College of Criminal Justice. And I decided that I was going to actually go into the NYPD first and do a couple of years there before I tried to apply for the FBI and you know, branch off from there. Forensic science. You know, I wish you would have completed that, Christian, because then maybe you could help me figure out who's been stealing my sandwich in the lunchroom. <laughs> well, you know, it's usually the ones closest to you, so... Uh, Mark. Yeah. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... So what happened, uh, you know, you're going to college, uh, you're trying to get something going with life in general, and uh, where was the splitting point there? You know, uh, I, I think I uh, kind of left the nest a little too soon. I was always very independent, very ambitious, and uh, I was set on pretty much getting out of, you know, my parents' roof. And I wanted to prove that I could do it on my own. And so me and my uh, fiance at the time, we got a place together and I was holding down two jobs, going to college, ended up, you know, getting a job. That relationship didn't uh, work out, so I ended up by myself with this apartment now uh, with all the bills to pay. You know, now I'm working one job where it was a two-income household. Now it's a one-income household, and pretty much a mountain of debt just kind of started slowly uh, burying me. And I think my pride really kind of prevented me from reaching out and getting any help at the time, which I'm sure, you know, my, you know, my mom would have gladly taken me back into the house, even though they had already converted my bedroom into a princess palace for my little sister. But, uh, <laughs> how old you were know, you I, at that point? How old were you? Yeah, uh, I was actually 21, 21 years old. Yeah. So I had just started the police academy and I was, uh, you know, ready to go in one direction and things just kind of just broke down. Um, I had a, a friend of mine that worked at one of the banks and, you know, not getting too much into the details of the case, but, you know, I mean, we were both indicted, so it's pretty much public record, but, you know, we both uh, were in facing some hard times financially and, you know, the idea came up, you know, Hey, look, she, you know, she worked at the bank. I could go and who's she, uh, oh, my co-defendant, the person that got arrested with me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, no names. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, so she worked as a teller at the bank and, you know, the bright idea emerged that I could always just go and pass her a note and she would give me the money and, you know, no harm, no foul in, in the sense that no one would get hurt. And it would be a pretty 
easy thing to do seemed like a seemed at the time like a quick solution albeit not very moral but a quick solution to our financial troubles and of course as as all these stories go it was the idea was we're just going to do this one time you know pay our debts and we're done with this well that didn't quite turn out that way uh the first time worked which then of course led us to believe later on that it could work again and again and so uh you know fast forward on the third time that was basically three stri- three strikes and i was out and the third time uh, i was actually arrested uh, in reading pennsylvania i was charged sentenced and you know next thing you know i went from one path one plan of life to looking at up to 16 years in prison uh fortunately the judge kind of saw that you know all these things kind of just came about and it was not indicative of the life that i had lived up to that point and ran some of the sentence uh partially concurrent to where i ended up getting sentenced to a, a total of 11 years of which i did nine and a half uh retaining all of my good time credit and this is federal time Yes, federal time. Uh, this is all in the federal system because uh, the banks are federally insured. Let me ask a question. Um, so you and your co-defendant, you kept passing notes to, to her, the same person? No, no. Okay. The first time, yeah, the first time was a note. And, it, you know, just like the uh, brazenness of the actual crimes uh, and the distortion of our idea of, you know, what we could do or what we should be doing, uh, we actually escalated it. So the first time it was just a note. And then after that, it was actually uh, going at the vault and, you know, mm. just kind of progressed from there. Uh, fortunately, one of the things that I thank God for is that, you know, no one ever got hurt during any of these things. I was never in there to hurt anyone. Um, in fact, one of the one of the most ironic things that kind of sticks with me is that at my arraignment in Reading, Pennsylvania, the judge who took the witness impact statements actually told me, you know, what I find very strange is that the actual uh, stat, the, the employees that were there when you tried to rob this bank actually told me that you were a perfect gentleman with them. <laughs> was that yeah, your nickname? Looked, no, no. You know, I was nicknamed bank up, robbers. Uh, well, actually, the I think it was the New York Post uh, had run a headline, Dapper Desperado donning a matching suit and tie holds up downtown bank. I think that was the headline. So the Dapper Don robber. I like that. Yeah, Dapper Desperado donning a matching suit and tie. The alliteration there was uh, clever. But, yeah, that was the headline, and I think it was the New York Post. All right, so from now on on the show, at least, we're going to call you Dapper. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's you know hey, that, that, that's fine you, you 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 can't see me right now so i guess you can go with that yeah <laughs> i wore a tie i wore a tie this morning oh, there you go you're a little more dapper than i, I want to be important he, he looks like it you know i don't know what to say about that mark polka dot with stripes and plaid okay it's never been done before <laughs> um, i'm thinking that somebody was probably wore that kind of thing before and was denied access to some places <laughs> <laughs> so i shouldn't go for my job interview no no not today so anyway so you yep. get busted now you're facing time and uh you end up going where so for the most part uh they held me at the federal detention center in philadelphia and because I was former law enforcement, they uh, I spent 
quite a quite a while in solitary confinement. So they actually put me in the special housing unit, uh, segregated from the general population until they felt that it was safe for me to join the general population. Uh, took some convincing, but once I explained to them that you know I hadn't really been uh, on the police department long enough to actually have any arrests, especially out of state. Uh, you know, they kind of figured, okay, the mat- the odds are that you're not going to run into anybody that you put cuffs on in this state, in this location. So they let me out. And from there, I got bounced around to a couple of different holding facilities, uh, Youngstown, Ohio, mm. uh, then back to the detention center in Philadelphia. Then I went to go stand trial or not trial, uh, face another indictment for the New York one, because not all the robberies were in the same state. So each district had their crack at me and so i had to then go to the detention center in brooklyn and again stay in solitary confinement there this time for 10 months while i awaited sentencing on that charge uh and then ultimately finally being designated to the uh, low security correctional facility at in Milan, michigan so when you went in there you know i i know that when i was in prison if um, a former police officer came in there you know guys weren't too happy about them coming in there. Did you have any problems like that at all? No, you know, it's uh, that's one thing that I'm really grateful for. I never, not, not once, had an issue with my background, never had an issue. I, I never had a physical altercation the entire time that I was there. Did people and know I about think it? That, hmm? Did people know yeah. about your background? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, uh, a lot of a lot of people came up to me and they were more interested in like the story. They were interested in like, you know, what what kind of led you to this? And, you know, it's kind of a crazy story how you ended up in here, how you ended up, you know, making these decisions. Uh, and oddly enough, I'm sure that anybody who's been incarcerated before knows that just like anywhere else in the world or in any other organization, there's kind of a hierarchy. There's a division between those who are respected and those who are looked down upon. And oddly enough for me, a lot of the places where I went to because they were lower security had people with some cases that were frowned upon uh, of a sexual nature. And so those people were pretty much ostracized to the point where someone with my case and my background basically became like, oh, you know, that's no big deal. We've got we've got other people here that are lower on the totem pole, so to speak. And you know, for the most part, I carried myself with with respect. I respected everybody while I was in there. I made sure, you know, not to be a pushover. But at the same time, you know, I, I wasn't out to prove anything. I wasn't trying to, uh, you know, go find the biggest guy in the yard and make an example out of him. Um, you know, my thing was, look, I'm here to do my time and I'm here to grow from my mistakes. And I've got a while to do that. And I can do my time one of two ways. I can sit around playing cards and watching Jerry Springer and looking for the next fight. Or I can use this time to learn some new skills and figure out what I'm going to do for the second chapter of my life. Well, you know, Christian, what we're going to do is we're going to get into uh, the kind of things that you um, were able to take advantage of while you're in there. But we got to take a break first and we'll be right back. Okay. CPA dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startupradio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. 
Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future future of your business. All right, Christian, we are back. Um, during, the, during the break there, Mark decided to um, kind of slide over next to me so we can get in the, the Facebook Live thing together, and I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I'm, I'm going to move back. He's a little too close to me. I tried. You know, Mark had one of those kind of charges we were talking about before, but you know, oh, he, he sexually molested himself, so I'm not sure if that counts. I'm my own victim. I'm my own victim. Yes. <laughs> All right, Christian. So uh, you're in. You know, and um, I know a lot of the guests that we we spoke to in the past, and me and Dave, and and you know, Mark as well. There was that moment of clarity, that moment when you were like, you know what? I've got to do something different. And where was that for you? Is is this in the first prison you were at? You know, I uh, actually had two of those moments. Uh, one of them was a, I guess, professional epiphany, and the other one was more of a spiritual one. So there were two mo- defining moments in my time where uh, I really made a decision to kind of change the person that I was going to be going forward, and especially once I got out. And the first one was actually at the institution at Milan, and uh, one of the one of the guys actually uh, helped me get an interview at the prison factory, which is called Unicor. And they, you know, they actually have a full operation. It's pretty elaborate, actually. And they develop uh, office furniture, like metal office furniture. And they got me a job as the warehouse stock control clerk. And I got the job uh, because unlike, you know, many in the population, I had a little bit more computer skills than the average inmate. And they put me right on the computer system. I started working, took on a lot of responsibility. And I mean, I loved it. It was uh, the officers there really, you know, let you develop and grow as a person as opposed to just keeping their thumb on you. They really gave you a chance to, uh, you know, treat it as a regular job. You know, you've got a job to do, you've got responsibility. And I worked my way up in that factory to the point where I was actually the head production clerk and I was working directly for the factory manager. And, you know, during that time, I really saw like, wow, you know, I could really do something with my life. I can, I have other skills than just, you know, an adrenaline junkie that, you know, happened to think he looked good in a uniform. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, I realized, you know, I can do something with this. And that's where my, my passion for Excel actually stemmed from, you know, my, my boss, I was really lucky. He told me, look, you have a blank check. You have, uh, the ability to learn and practice and basically play around in Word, Excel, PowerPoint, in this system so that we can rely on you for the projects that we'll be having, you know, coming down the line. And I took full advantage of it. I learned everything that I could. I was in the computer lab. I was reading books. I had taught myself visual basic programming. I learned how to create, you know, formulas that would hurt your eyes. Um, <laughs> and it just it really branched off from there. And I realized, you know what? 
I want to do something with this. I'm interested in like uh, data analysis. I started taking Lean Six Sigma courses. I ended up being the instructor for the Lean Six Sigma course there. And the more responsibility and the more trust they put in me, the more confidence I gained in myself. And I realized, wow, you know, I can, I can make it out there. I can do this out there and be completely happy with a life, you know, doing the things that I enjoy doing. Well, you know, when I was uh, when I was at OSCI, which is Oregon State Correctional Institution, many years ago, um, we had a couple guys that came in, and, and uh, they had a pretty significant amount of time to do. And their one of their fathers um, worked in a computer store, and for some reason, he had the insight to you know to try and get these guys all the information that he could about about computers and this is you know back in in the mid 90s and so what he did was he told um this my you know my friend's father he told uh, the education department that he would donate a bunch of computers to the educational department if you know these guys his son and and his and his uh, co-defendant could get in there and use them on occasion so he donated all these computers, and then he started sending them all these books about uh, computer programming. And so when these guys got out, you know, like 20 years later, these guys were experts in, uh, you know, computer. And um, what, you know, I mean, how could you really foresee that and computers being as important as they were when we got out? I mean, there wasn't even a cell phone when I went in, you know. And I did 20 years, so you can imagine getting out years later. But these guys worked for, the, like what you're talking about, the program that you work for. But they went in and set up all you know, their computers and did all the stuff for them. Just amazing to see it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I don't think people realize just how much potential there actually is inside of the prison walls and how much can actually be done. You know, a lot of people think that, People are just in there basically working out and playing, you know, basketball and and baseball or softball that they have over there and, you know, watching TV and playing cards. And, you know, unfortunately, there are a lot of people that do do that, but there's also so much opportunity. There's so many resources that are available if you are willing to do the work because the prison's not going to go out of their way to force you to do any of these things. And, you know, they don't, they don't get paid enough to be a correctional officer and a mentor and a college professor. <laughs> you know, it's, you really have to be willing to be self-taught and take the initiative to use the resources that are there and, you know, make the most of it, which is why so many people, I suspect, that come out of these prisons and decide to venture into entrepreneurship you know, they, they, they have a knack for it because when you're in there, you have to be creative. You have to be innovative. You have to find a way to work within the restrictions and environment that you are placed in and find a way to make it work for you. You know, but, you find your niche. You know, that's the thing, though, man. If, if you can get things rolling in there, you know, with the limited, you know, availability of things in there. If you get things going, you know, online courses or whatever, I've seen guys do it over and over, you know, have stuff come in, get the local colleges involved for, you know, where they eventually come in. It's doable, but a lot of people just don't have that drive to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's why, so kind of segueing into the second uh, epiphany or moment for me, you know, I, I went from seeing that I could take this opportunity to 
uh, grow professionally and develop my skills. But then also, and you know, this may sound a little cliche, you know, you hear of all these people that, you know, go to prison and it's the first time they ever pick up a Bible. But, uh, you know, for me, it literally was the first time I ever read through the Bible. And it was also before going to prison. I mean, anybody that knew me would tell you I was not the church going type and I was not the spiritual type. And, you know, for me, it was just such a great time for personal reflection to really kind of figure out where I stood, not just, you know, within the prison walls, but within, you know, the universe, within life. And for me, I, I remember the key book was Lee Strobel's The Case for Christ. And I read that book and it spoke to me because it was very practical. It was not one of these, you know, just trying to uh, speak to your spirit. It spoke to your mind too. And when you're in there, you got to nurture both of those. You and you're in there because that, you know, those places, and I'm sure that there are uh, prisons out there that are much worse than places I stayed at, but they can really break you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And so if you have a way to you know, hold on to those things. And even in spite of the place grow, I mean, it's a blessing. And I mean, I, I, you know, I thank the man above, you know, for what he did with me while I was there and helping me to transition uh, from there because my time in the chapel was just as important as my time in the law library. I agree. I I did the same thing. You know, when I went in there, I didn't, I didn't know how to play guitar or anything. And uh, when I met Dave Dahl, um, that's how I met him. Was uh, he was playing guitar on the yard? I just barely picked up the guitar and started playing it. But that was a transitional part of my life, right there. You know, reflecting on whatever. And, and Dave, you know, because I um, played in the the chapel um, services and whatever. Um, Dave was, a, you know, he's seen a change in me. He didn't know me before, but he's seen something in me that he liked. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've been friends all these years, because he sees something in me that, you know, that he likes. And and so that part of your life, um, you know, I've seen so many guys change because of that. Opens their eyes up to a whole new, you know, way of living. Like Dave, you know, he... Uh, Took took a computer it's um, computer aided drafting class in mm. prison and um, for the first time in his life he realized that he was good at something it changed his yeah. whole outlook on life and you know down the road he created Dave's Kill of Bread but it's all about you know that in there so now you're in there you decided that you're going to kind of take this uh, information that you have and, and the encouragement that you got from these uh, the guys you work for in there and apply it towards a business. Now, how did that come about? Well, and so it was actually because of one of the guys that used to go to service with me in the chapel. And so we used to go to service together. We used to go to church and I saw him in the law library and they had a little study group and the study group used to always sit right near where I would sit down to just kind of work on my ideas. Now, at the time I was thinking about going into like app, you know, app development. I was working on an encryption algorithm. I was working on a couple different projects here and there. And I'm sitting next to these guys and they're talking about futures and options and commodities and lean hogs and crude oil. And just, you know, it, it piqued my interest. And so one day I asked him when we were at church, I said, hey, you know, what's that group all about? And he told me, I said, well, you know, I'd love to get in. He said, well, it's kind of exclusive. I'll talk to, you know, our our mentor, our professor. And he did. And, you know, it just worked out to where I got a, a slot in the class. And it was actually taught by a, by a gentleman who, I mean, he had 35 years of experience in the industry. And, of course, you know, in the end, he made his share of bad decisions that kind of landed him in there. But it didn't take away from the knowledge that he had of the industry. And his mission was to, you know, impart that knowledge 
onto a couple of individuals that would be able to take it and run with it and do something with it once they got out. That was like his mission. Um, you know, sadly, he was like in his mid 70s facing 59 years. So for him, it was a way to kind of like carry on his legacy and do something really meaningful and change a couple of people's lives uh, with the time that he had there. And I was just blessed to be one of those individuals. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I, I look back to I had I had some guys in there and, you know, some of my mentors were the chaplains and, you know, in the prisons. Um, down-to-earth guys and, and women and um, really gave you encouragement and uh, made you see that there what you know you had some worth and I think that's an important thing yeah. so we had this uh, you know we had this study group and being in a group of like-minded individuals and now it, we didn't plan it this way but our entire table there was a, a core group of about four of us and of course you know there's actually a couple of overlaps with people that were released and you know when the slots opened up but for the most part of the time that i was there there was a core group of about four of us uh not counting our our mentor and you know we were all christians we were all we used to all you know uh go to church and you know we used to sit down after church services we'd go to class and, you know, we sat down there and I learned so much from him and basically took everything that I had learned before from, you know, my time at the prison factory in Milan, uh, Lean Six Sigma, Excel, Visual Basic, and took it all together and was able to use that to expand upon what, you know, I was learning. And I basically just said, look, you know, when I get out, when the opportunity presents itself, I'm going to take this and I'm going to I'm going to do something with it. I'm not just going to hold on to this and chalk it up as some good memory or experience I had in prison. I'm going to actually take this and, you know, do something with it. So so um, how much longer did you do after that? And you got out um, and how how was that transition? I mean, you know, how long did you eventually spend in there? Uh, nine and a half years. Uh, the last two years were basically when I was learning everything about the commodity and futures and options markets. And when then I got out in summer of 2017, uh, got released to home confinement. And then, you know, from there, it was only about a matter of a year before I, uh, we actually launched the company, uh, which... Uh, I, I guess it, it makes more sense if I explain who we are. Uh, I ended up getting married and moving out to Michigan. And my wife, she's actually, she holds an MBA. And she's, you know, I mean, she's phenomenal when it comes to numbers. So for me, it was like a match made in heaven because I'm like, all right, well, I know the trading side of it. But, you know, when it comes to the accounting side and, uh, you know, more on the business side, she was like my my better half. And you know, we, we launched Aria Lab in March of 2018 and, you know, just kind of have been growing it slowly from there. Um, and, you know, yeah, just going from there. So, you know, before we got on the air, we were talking about mm -hmm. um, the name of your business. <laughs> How did that come about? Yeah, so Aria Lab actually stems from Aria, which was actually an acronym. So A-R-I-A. -A. And this was back when I was at Mylan. I decided, you know, I have all these responsibilities, all these reports I have to do, all these things that I have to kind of monitor. Wouldn't it be nice to have like an organizational chart? And I said, okay, so I created a spreadsheet. And then I said, well, wouldn't it be nice if I could have like some rules that would, you know, remind me when something's done? So I started programming formulas, then conditional formatting and colors and lights and whistles, bells. You know, I basically took this sheet 
and turned it into like a personal assistant slash chat bot that I could basically go into the spreadsheet and say like, what's my schedule today? And it would like list out everything that was on, everything that was due this month, quarterly reports. It would link with other spreadsheets and tell me if I had visited that day to make sure that I ran it that day. So I basically created this like little, uh, very, very low level version of like what we now have like Siri, Alexa and all these things, but it was, contained within a spreadsheet. It was my little personal assistant and it was auto response integrated assistant, A-R-I-A. And to me, that was like my first major Excel project. The first thing that I created that was not just for work purposes, but you know, really kind of helped me uh, bring on my creative side. And so Aria uh, <laughs> ended up, the running joke was that, Ar that I was like in love with Aria and that I somehow personified it as a female. And so Aria, <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, you're playing with Aria again. And Aria became like this like little joke in the office. And so Aria was, you know, the first instance of me being able to create something. So Aria Lab was the idea that, you know what, if I could create this, I could create other things from here. And the lab, you know, being the, the, the testing, the experimentation, the, the learning, the, you know, always being able to try new things. And I combined those two things together because it really reminds me of where it all started and reminded me that, you know, if you tinker around with it enough, you can create some really amazing things. It sounds really cool. Yeah, it does. So you know what we're going to do is uh, we're going to take another break. Then we're going to come back, and you're going to hopefully tell us a little bit about uh, what your business does and how successful it is, and we'll be right back. Yep. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionist. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startupradio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and you get a $150 credit. Wow, $150. Bucks. Could you use $150 um, there all on? What I kind could. of bucks? Uh, you know. Like, like a full-grown deer? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want $150. whatever your desire, all on. Oh, thank you. We always take care of all on. Because I make it sound good. He yeah. does. He makes it sound great. All right, Christian. So, you guys started your company. You say uh, you launched it back in 2018. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain to our listeners uh, kind of what your company does and what it tries to accomplish? Sure. So, so Aria Lab develops custom trading systems. Uh, and for the most part, what we're looking to do is work with individual uh, traders. And I say traders because there is a distinction between a trader and an investor. You know, if you just want to put your money into a fund and let it sit there for 10 years, you know, more power to you. There's nothing with, this, with that strategy. But we cater more to like the, the daily traders, not so much intraday, but uh, swing trading. And so we develop systems for individual traders that want to actively trade these markets. Uh, our specialty is in commodity futures and options because that's, you know, what I trade and that's what I learned and, you know, that's where the origin was. But we help individuals develop trading plans, uh, set their, their proper, you know, risk management 
uh, settings and really decide what kind of trader they're going to be. And then we go back and say, okay, well, if you're going to trade this market, uh, do you have a preference? Do you like trading a certain indicator or a certain technical indicator? Do you like trading moving averages? Do you like trading, you know, uh, Fibonacci sequences? It, it's, it's really up to the trader. And what we do is we construct a Excel-based trading system that they can use for themselves to trade these markets. You know, uh, with the advent of Robinhood and like all these mobile trading apps, you have more and more individuals that are stepping into this arena and are completely ill-equipped to trade anything except with just, you know, a gut feeling, which may work for some. But for me, I mean, I, I can look back and say that I've been known for a couple of bad decisions in my life. So I, I don't always want to just go with my gut. Uh, we use, you know, robust back testing so what we do is we go back and say okay does this work you know looking back and if so why did it work so we'll break it down and look at the the you know how much drawdown a particular system or strategy would have experienced on a particular market for you know uh trading this system how much what's the max profit average profit average win average loss and really get a sense for the performance of the system because too many times people will test it and say okay this system made more money than that one so it must be better our goal is to try to help people figure out how to best balance the risk and reward equation when developing a trading system. And so we develop trading systems for individuals. You can utilize one of the trading systems that we've already developed, or if you just want to sit down and talk with someone that's going to help you work through the process or audit or test your system, we can offer that as well. Um, you know, our goal is to really help people take the next step beyond just clicking buy or sell on their cell phone um, and really taking a more data-driven approach to how they're going to trade these markets day in, day out. Well, that's cool. Mark, did you get all that? <laughs> so I have a question. So let's say like me and Lad, we're like, we're not like billionaires or anything. We have like maybe, mm -hmm. what's the, like the least amount of money someone can go into one of these and use your application to see a return? I like the idea of, a, you know, someone with not a bunch of money to sit in an account for, like you said, 10 years. If, you know, me and Lad wanted to throw, you know, some money together and, and try to make some an investment mm -hmm. or what would be, what's some of the, the numbers on the money that people invest for small yeah. guys? So that really just depends on what markets you're going going to be going into. If you're going into stocks, like so let's say you just want to, you know, buy Apple or Facebook or Amazon or, you know, whatever. You want to buy something and just hold it. You don't really need a big strategy for that. You don't need a whole system telling you how to do that. You can go on your phone and just buy it. But if you're going to try to diversify to where, okay, I want to put some money into different kinds of ETFs, exchange traded funds, and I want to have exposure to the futures markets and the options markets. Now you're getting into a situation where you, you, you need to have some organization. And so what, how much money you need depends on what commodities or assets you're going to actually be trading and what the uh, expected drawdown is going to be on your system. So I'll take, for example, if you want to trade uh, crude oil. Okay, so a crude oil, uh, the margin for crude oil is going to be somewhere around $3,800. So I wouldn't recommend trading that with any less than 6000 minimum, but that's assuming that every trade you're going to make is going to, you know, on average make money and keep you above that $6,000 mark. 
not a good idea. So for that situation, I would say you want to double that up and you want to start with about at least twelve to 15,000 just to trade one contract of crude oil futures going forward. So that's an example where that would be the, the minimum. Now, if you just want to go in and, you know, buy one lot stocks, you know, here and there, then all you need is the price of the stock, because guess what? If it goes down to zero, you lost 100% of it, but you can't lose any more. Uh, whereas with futures, you can actually lose more than what you started with. So it's a totally different risk paradigm. Uh, so again, it's that's why we stress that we really meet the trader where they're at, because depending on what your taste for risk is and what your what markets you want to get into, it totally changes the plan or the approach that we're going to take with each person. Uh, you can start with as little as $500 or you can go rolling into it with 100000 and there's going to be a strategy and approach and a market that is best suited for you, the amount of money you have and your style. And so, you know, you got out right, really, if you think about it, at the opportune time, because the market right now is pretty good. <laughs> well, I mean, it depends who you ask. Uh, some people would say that it's pretty good. Some people would say that it's a bubble waiting to pop. Um, you know, but fortunately, I, I don't really get into the business of trying to forecast where the market's going, because ultimately, the market's going to go where, where, where it's going to go. And you as an individual... Uh, you would be wasting your time by trying to predict. So the best you can do is think of it this way. If, if you go into a casino, you would be, it would be a fool's errand if you tried to go in and predict every single game and which one's going to win. But if you had a strategy that had a statistical edge and you said, okay, on average, this approach will give me more money than what I started with, and you go in there with that plan and stick to it, you can beat the casino. You know, you can do that if you have a strategy. Uh, too many people go in and try to, like, predict what's going to happen in the market. I take the approach of, well, look, I want to have a strategy that's going to make money when it goes up. I want to have one that's going to make money when it goes down. And I want a strategy that's going to make money when the market's just stagnant. And that's where options come into play. So, you know, really combining all those three, the idea, you know, my mentor used to say, is the market going to go up or is the market going to go down? Who cares? <laughs> you know, you don't worry about what the market's going to do. You worry about what you're going to do when the market does what it's going to do. Well, Christian, you know, we're getting pretty short here. So mm -hmm. uh, one, one last question before we, we go off the air. Um, how many people work at your company right now? So, so right now, it's actually just me and my wife. We are the only two. Uh, I, I take care of all the systems development, trading work. She does all the financials. She does you know, more of the business side of it. And what we've done is we've basically positioned ourselves to work through uh, strategic partnerships. So like, we have a partnership right now with a, uh, a small commodity trading group where we basically provide the systems and maintenance for them uh, to trade the markets. We have a couple of clients where, like right now, we're actually – I'm in the process of helping a gentleman who wants to just roll over his 401K and say, I want to take this money out and split it up and actually trade different ETFs. So we can work with an entity, a small trading firm. We can work with just someone who's ready to take a more active, proactive role in managing their money. Well, you know, Christian um – Sounds like you're uh, really on top of it. Uh, congratulations to uh, both you and your wife. Congratulations. Uh, That's you. awesome. You guys keep yeah. up the good work. And uh, maybe if you're ever in Portland, drop by and see us. Um, all on said he would buy us lunch. So um, we're all good there. But uh, we really appreciate you being on the show today. 
And uh, all on. Get you all on in there. Yes, my friend. Thank you so much, sir, for being here today and being our our sound guy. And I want to thank Mark uh, for being here with us today. Um, He's going to get downtown and uh, probably mess up some more tattoos. (laughs) I'm I'm snatching you up. So, Christian, you're going with me, lad. Thanks again, sir, and have a good day. Nice and, you, know, thank you guys. Yeah, thank you guys for the opportunity. It was great chatting with you guys, and uh, I love what you guys are doing. And keep up the, you know, keep up the good work. There's a lot of people out there that have stories that need to be told, and this is definitely a, a good place to learn about them. Thanks, Christian. I appreciate that. And we will see you next week on Felony Inc. And uh, coming up after uh, the break here is Edgar Navis and his little group. Really cool people. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.